Open up our hearts and our ears and our eyes. Any part of us that can receive from you today, we pray, pray that it would be open to you and what you would have to say. Uh, speak to us and transform us into the image of Jesus. Help us to take one step closer. Help us to, to fulfill the role you've called us to here in hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grab a seat. We are entering kind of a new season of our Christian year, um, a season of mission. We have this little booklet, our lectionary guide. I, I want to bring your attention to it again. They're out there. You can feel free to take them. But we, in a four-year cycle at our church, we try to work our way through all the major sections of Scripture, and this is kind of what gives us guideline to do it. And in the end, there's a, you can read along with us as we go. There's kind of a, lets you know what, what area we're looking at. And so we're in this season of the mission of God where we begin, we've, we've been in the Gospels, and now we're going to these, these letters that were written to the early church that, as they went about the mission of God. Um, we're going to, uh, to look at the book of Hebrews over the next eight or nine weeks. Now, if you're reading along, you'll see that it says Romans and Hebrews. Well, four years ago when we were here, we spent the whole time on Romans. So that's what you get for keeping a guy around five years. Uh, when we get back to it, this time we're going to spend the whole time on Hebrews. But if you're reading along, you'll spend four weeks in Romans and four weeks in Hebrews. Read along with us. Uh, but the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. Now, we know that. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know where they were exactly. It never says, but it's written to Jewish Christians because there's so much in there about the Jewish practice of faith from the Old Testament. So much is assumed of the audience that we realize it was written to people who were Jewish. And that, if you're wondering why, uh, why there's a dinosaur on the screen, uh, that is a greater than sign, the mathematical greater than sign, because Hebrews says over and over and over, Jesus is greater than anything else. He's greater than. That's the theme of the book. As they look at the, the beauty of their history and their religious experience and their religious symbols and practices, while they are truly rich and amazing, the writer of this letter says Jesus is greater than all that. He's better than all that. He fulfills all of that. So I would encourage you to read along with us as we go through. Uh, we're going to start today... Um, in a really, really short portion of the text. I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In fact, it's so short, just to give you your money's worth, I'm going to read it through twice today, because um, I don't want you to feel cheated. Um, Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, let's read it one more time. Sometimes you hear things a second time. In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now this text, at least this intro 
starts by helping us to realize the way God speaks. It says, in the past, he spoke this way. In these last days, he spoke in this way. But it states right up front, and this is one thing I want you to realize, and if, if you don't know this already or don't believe this, I have a question why you're here. God is a God who speaks. Communication is what he does. He wants you to know who he is. We often forget that, right? How many of you have said, I just wish God would tell me what to do? Everybody say that? I want skywriting. I want a big sign on the wall. I, I wish he wouldn't be so quiet, right? Give me a sign. But, but what the scripture tells us is there's something really in his very nature that communicates. He wants to tell us things, not always on our terms or the way we want it or when we want it, but he does speak to us. He does it through creation. In Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. He does it through creation. We see God speaking to us, telling us who he is through creation. Uh, he also does it through the ordinary events of our lives. One of my favorite quotes I come back to over and over is by a guy, Malcolm Muggeridge. You've probably heard of him, but he said this, every happening, great and small, is a parable whereby God speaks to us, and the art of life is to get the message. I love that. God speaks to us all the time, and the goal in life is beginning to hear what he's saying to us. He, he wants to be known. You know, he could have not even created humanity. God did not need us. He did not need the world. He did not need this. And yet there's something so relational about the nature of God that he creates humanity for a relationship. He wants to communicate. And the writer of Hebrews starts by reminding what God already said. In verse 1, in the past, he spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Now, that is very true. He spoke through the prophets at many times and in various ways. When I typed that in on my computer, I mistyped it, and it tried to autocorrect to curious ways instead of various ways. And I thought that's actually quite appropriate, because if, if, if you read the Old Testament... Sometimes God speaks in really curious ways. If you want to spend a good afternoon, go back and read Ezekiel chapter 4, where God said to Ezekiel, okay, I want you to symbolize, number one, the 390 years that this people's been in sin and the 40 years that this people's been living in sin by laying on your right side for 390 days and then lay on your left side for 40 days. So for 430 days, God called this prophet to lay on his side as a way, I mean, that's a, that's a various way of communicating, right? I'm very glad, although laying down would be a nice job, maybe, maybe not for that long. But in various ways, he says, through the prophets in the Old Testament, God has spoken. But he says in verse 2, in these last, in these most recent days, God's spoken to us in one very specific way, through Jesus, who was the final word of God. And this is no surprise that Jesus is the word of God. We use the verse all the time, John 1, 14. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is this, we call it the living word of God, right? The word made flesh. God speaks to us about who he is in flesh and bone. But what does it actually mean that God speaks to us in Jesus? What's he saying? Well, the writer of Hebrews packs a whole lot into the last half of verse 2 
and verse 3. Uh, it's like somebody said to him, okay, God speaks through his son Jesus. How do you describe Jesus? Whoever you are, writer of Hebrews. You know, for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, who've encountered him in some way through scripture, through experience, sometimes it's really hard to put into words who he is. I mean, we can talk about him, but, but especially as you grow and mature and, and it becomes a deeper part of your life, it's really hard to express who's Jesus. Well, the writer of Hebrews uses 43 Greek words to kind of sum it all up in verses 2 and 3. He or she, whoever it is that wrote it, says so much. And, and it's actually echoes of another passage. I'm, if you've got your Bible, I'm going to read another passage alongside just because I feel like, you, you know, if reading three verses twice is just not enough scripture to read to you today. So uh, Colossians 1, if you've got your Bible, you could thumb in both because th- these descriptions of Jesus sound very similar. They, they cover some of the same things. Colossians 1, just listen to verse 15 to 20. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, both of these passages help us to understand what is meant by who is Jesus. They cover Jesus, you might say, from start to finish, but that's not exactly what it says. It doesn't say Jesus from start to finish. It actually says Jesus is start to finish. In Colossians 1, 16 and 17, it says things like, In him all things were created. He is before all things. In verse 20 of Colossians, it says, The ultimate purpose is to reconcile everything to him. And in Hebrews 1, 2, we see he's the heir of all things. In other words, it's all going to be his. Everything that you see, ultimately, Jesus, it comes back to him in the end. And then it says, through whom he also made the universe. He's, he's this beginning of everything, and he's also where it's going to. Now, I realize this is not very practical right now. You're not, it, it's not like, oh, it's, it's more of an idea stage. We're going to get to that, and we're going to work our way through that in Hebrews. But, but you, first, you've got to see how big Jesus is to the writer here. He is start to finish. Then he moves on. He says, the sun is the radiance of of God's glory. The glory of God, as you look through the Old Testament, is seen like this is God in his fullness. The real literal Hebrew word for glory is heaviness, weight. So when when you encounter the glory of God, it's like you actually feel the power and the greatness and the majesty of God. And he says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. I like to think of it as, as the emanation of God toward us. Back in Colossians, it says God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. See, Jesus is the way that God shines who he is all the way toward us. Say, can you pull down a few lights? Don't be scared. We're not going, I'm not going to, this is the one time the pastor is going to leave you in the dark, similar, or leaving the kids in the bright. 
my friend Dan Friesen loaned me this little thing he carries in his truck. Um, and it's just a little flashlight, right? But the, and actually the batteries are a little weak, I noticed this morning. They're just on the end, so it's not as bright as it could be. But just look at this. Look at how bright that is. See, oh, there's my kids. There they are. Hi, kids. Uh, $2 for you, because I mentioned you in the sermon. Um, right? This is, you see how, this is an example of taking light from this little thing, and it emanates, it projects all the way to the back of the wall. It projects even in, the, even in the bright foyer, I can see it on the back wall there. You can bring the lights back up, see? That's a picture of what the author is saying. He's saying Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God all the way brought down to us. He's the radiance, the, the expression of that heaviness and weight of the very nature of God brought to us. And now this light, that's what, that's what Jesus does too, right? He kind of exposes who we are. It's not God at a distance, it's God right here, shining right in relationship with us to open us up and expose who we are by seeing who God is. That's what Jesus does to us. As we begin to see him, we begin to see who we are because the radiance of his glory comes out to us. Uh, uh, He's also the picture of God for us. It says, uh, the next phrase in Hebrews, he's the exact representation of his being. Colossians 1.19 says, God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus. The Greek word calls to, to mind the image. You remember what kings used to do when they issued a royal proclamation back in those days, and people wanted to know, was it from the king? At the bottom of the proclamation, he would pour hot wax on it, and then he had this ring that only the king had, and it had a symbol on it, a signet ring, and he would press that wing, ring down, wing, <laughs> ring, down into the wax, and it would make an image. And when people saw the declaration, they would know that this image is from the king. And it's the same, it's saying that Jesus is the exact representation of the image of God. How many of you have ever seen one of these? You know what these are? These little things, usually they're metal, this is a plastic one. But you, you, you put, like, say you put your, well, you put, put my nose right here. All right? <laughs> Now, there's me, right? There's me. Now, let's just look at this green one. Where's somebody? Beth, you got a little face. <laughs> Beth is so little and cute. Put your face in there, Beth. Yeah, a little face is a good thing. Compliment there. All right. She's much prettier than I am. It's not just the green. Now, how many of you know that if you looked at these two, you could probably tell which one is Beth and which one is me, even if it wasn't the colors, right? Because this nose is a lot bigger than that nose, let me tell you. That, that's kind of the idea that he's saying, that Jesus is the exact representation of what God looks like. And, I, you know, I, I find that very helpful for me, and I'll tell you why. Because I, my friends, have read the Old Testament. And sometimes in the Old Testament, God confuses me. I, I don't know why he did the things he did. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. And and for the writer of Hebrews to say, if you look at Jesus, that's the exact picture of what God actually looks like. I find that very helpful. Because sometimes the God of the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament, we have trouble reconciling those. And I think that's because the very nature of the way we know people is incomplete. How many of you have been involved in a friendship, relationship with someone and you learn something about them 
maybe about their past, about an experience that they had, and you realize that is why they do this every time. Ah, now I know. I know, I thought they were just irritating, but they're actually reacting against something that's happened to them and there's some understanding. See, you thought you knew that person, but you only knew them partly. And some other information came in that actually helped you understand to, how to know them better. Well, what, what the, the writer of the Hebrews says, you look at God in the Old Testament, and he's, sometimes he's hard to understand, but in Jesus we get this information that says this is what he actually looks like. Now, I know it doesn't always reconcile, but I also know, I, I don't know God fully, and, and what, I'm, what I'm saying is when, when I look at him, when I want to try to figure him out, the place I need to start is Jesus. He's the lens through which I try to figure out who God is in the Old Testament. And, and what about this, this Jesus that's radiating the glory of God to us, that's given us the image? Who is he? Well, he's the sustainer, he's the healer, and he's the king. Verse 3 has all those, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In Colossians, it says, in him all things hold together. He's the one who keeps the whole thing happening. I think you've all probably been a part of a group like that, whether it's a family or a team or a business, a job, and there's that one person that if that person was gone, everything would fall apart. Do you know that person? Some of you are that person, right? Um, I, I see families that when, when the mom dies or the dad dies, the kids say, oh, that was the one person that kept us all connected. What are we going to do, right? That's kind of this idea that in Jesus, everything else makes sense. It's all brought together. It's what connects it. He is that on a cosmic scale. He sustains everything by the word of his power. And he's a healer. It says, after he had provide, provided purification for sins. He's the one that takes who we are in our brokenness and does something about it, brings healing and forgiveness. You see, we were created, and this is one of the things we've got to get straight. Every single human being was created to live in a relationship with God. That's how we were wired. That's our spiritual DNA. It's what we were made to do. And yet our very lives... And our sin limits that. So we're broken. We feel that angst because we can't actually do in and of ourselves what it was we were created to do. And it says Jesus is the one, after providing purification for sins, he's the one that made a way for that to be healed. He's the one who brings healing. And because of that, he's the king. Colossians 1 says he's the firstborn of all creation before all things, head of the body, so that in all things he might have the supremacy. And here it says, when he had provided purification for sins in Hebrews, he sat down at the right hand of God. If, if there is one who is start to finish, the emanation of the glory of God, the picture of God in the flesh, who holds everything together, who heals our brokenness, that is the one the writer of Hebrews says is worthy to be king over all. Now this is how the book opens. It's a theological declaration of who and why and what Jesus is. But I, I want to boil this down from a theological concept to our day-to-day -day by looking at what I call the so what and the now what. Okay, Jeff, you've given me a good theological explanation of Jesus. So what? I mean, I, don't, I know you don't think that as trivially as I say it. But, but it's great to have an idea, but what does this do in my everyday life. And now what? How do I live out of this? See, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 is this underlying theology that's going to build for the rest of the book. 
Because he's going to say all along, see this guy I'm talking about, this person, this God in flesh is greater than this. He's greater than this. He's greater than that. But how do we apply those first three verses right now? Because I'm not doing the whole series today. I'm only doing this first part. Well, the first thing is, this, these first three verses help us to realize that Jesus is both more than a man and more than an ideal. We are people of the pendulum, I think. We tend to, have you ever noticed this about yourself or about society in general? We tend to swing to one side or we tend to swing to the other. We are liberal or we are NDP, <laughs> right? Or whatever we are, or conservative, whatever. We're, we're on these opposite ends. We're in the states, we're Republican or we're Democrat, right? We are people of the pendulum. And I find what there, there, there are times in my life when I've just really appreciated Jesus as a man. He's this human flesh and blood. He struggled like me. He's weeping in the garden. He's disappointed. He's struggling. God, take this cup away from me. He, he knows what I feel. He is that fully. But then there's other times when I'm like, oh, he's God. There's this ideal. Wow, he's this powerful one. He's, he's, he's the one who made purification for sins. He's this theological concept of holiness and purity and, and everything that I want and, and I tend to go from one to the other, and this says he's more than either one of those. You know, the, the Roman centurion, we talked about this in Sunday school, sees him on the cross die, and he says, surely this man was the son of God. One of the things we've got to realize is that even though we do appreciate the fact that Jesus was a human, that's lovely. That's not all he was. And even though we have these ideas of social justice and holiness and, and, and what the world should be from this ideal, the reality is he's all that together. He's, he's bigger than anything that we can comprehend. God in the flesh. And, and you know what? That's, that is a real struggle for the basic ways people think today. The scientific rational mind does not like this idea of somebody that we can't comprehend and, and I don't have to make you comprehend it. None of us can comprehend it, but I just have to say it's there. That Jesus is more than just a man, more than a religious teacher, more than this spiritual ideal that we strive to. He is actually God come to us. And that means, if we really sit with it, that Jesus is all that we seek. If if. He is all the writers of, he of Hebrews says he is. He really is the answer to the deepest longings that we have. My, my best friend, Matt, for years talked about a thing called the stab. And it took me a while to understand what he meant by the stab. But he was saying that there are these times in your life when something happens and you feel this in your, just, well, it's in your gut or in your heart, wherever you feel it. Like something noble happens. Somebody sacrifices their life for somebody else or, or this couple that fought their way uh, you know, against all obstacles finally finds true love and there's this feeling that there's something deeper and more profound there, right? This, this stab and what, what Matt said, my friend, and what I agree with is that God is the only one that, that meets that feeling, that need. He's the only one that can actually bring us the fulfillment that we know is true but we can't quite experience. We see it, we taste it, we resonate with it. I always use those tuning forks as an example. If you have a tuning, you know what a tuning fork is? A metal, you go tukung and it vibrates at a G frequency, like the, the note of a G. If you get one that's a G and it's vibrating and you bring another one over to it, it starts vibrating. You don't have to hit it, it just picks up the frequencies. 
And, and, and the beauty is that in Jesus, there is this frequency that is vibrating of God. Everything that we were made to create, and as we come closer, we feel that. Oh, yeah. He really is all that we seek, this healing, this revelation of God, this sustaining, this leadership, all in one person. In fact, Paul wrote in Colossians something really, I think we minimize this sometimes, Colossians 2, 2, and 3. He says, my goal is that they, the people he's writing to, may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, notice what that did not say. That did not say Christ in whom are hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What it says is in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That Jesus has every single thing in him that we could ever need or know about. He is the source of it all. That there is no one else that we need. We sing it in songs all the time. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, right? Jesus is the one that we seek that actually brings meaning and purpose that sustains, that holds us together. He, we, we pray it. He's really all we need. He is the fulfillment that we seek. But here's the issue, and here's why Hebrews is so, 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 so important. Jesus really is all we need. He really is the fulfillment of all that we seek, yet we often look for another. Isn't that the truth? We often look for another. The book theme, Jesus is greater than this. He's greater than that. He's greater than all these things that the Jews hold dear Despite the fullness of who he is, they're always looking for something else. And we do too. How many of you know that Jesus is really all you need, but you still find yourself wandering, looking, hungry for something else, something more immediate? Anybody else feel that way? Well, if, if you did that, you're in really good company. There's a little known guy in the scripture named John the Baptist who was sitting in jail, which is one of those things where like, this is the fulfilling life God has called me to. I'm sitting in jail. <laughs> I'm going to lose my head eventually. He didn't know that yet. But he sends his disciples to Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 2 and 3. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? This was the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. The guy who, was, who said, look, it's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. And he came to this point where he knew, he knew, he knew, he knew that Jesus was who he was supposed to be. And yet at that moment he says, are you really the one who is going to come? Or should I look for something else? The one who said, he must become greater, I must become less, said, are you the one? Or should I look for someone else? See, it's human nature. Jesus comes to us. He is everything that we need, but it doesn't look the way we thought it was going to look. It doesn't feel the way we thought it was going to feel. And so we begin to look somewhere else. I'm rolling this passage around in my mind, and I had an experience this week. It's weird. It's happened to me four different times in my life that a bird gets caught in a skylight. I think that's weird that that's happened. It's actually, actually, now that I've thought about it, it's happened five times for me. I don't know, maybe it's just weird. 
Maybe all you guys have had the same experience, and it's not weird. You can tell me afterwards. Don't ruin my illustration yet. <laughs> but there's this hummingbird on our deck with the skylight, and he's, he's trapped. And, <laughs> and I ended up writing something about it. I want to read it to you. This is kind of vulnerable for me to read this to you, but here, here's what I wrote. Some experiences cycle back like echoes, as if they're saying something, something no one wants to hear. Four times in my life I've encountered a bird stuck in a skylight. It's frantically flying upward. All birds know that's what you do when you're trapped. Each time I got creative, I used all the tools, brooms, sticks, pillowcases, towels, scared the bird to death. <laughs> and slightly hurt it, no doubt, but it had to be done to set it free. And every time I think, that's like me and God, I'm trying frantically to be free, flying upward, or so it seems, and he terrifies me. He even hurts me sometimes to direct me toward what I need, what I want, what I didn't even know existed. You see, some experiences cycle back like echoes as if they are saying something no one wants to hear. Why don't birds learn? And why don't I? See, I think that's, that's the picture the writer of Hebrews is addressing. We are these birds and we're trying everything. We know Jesus is the answer, but it just doesn't work out the way we think it's going to work out. It doesn't look, it doesn't feel like we thought it was going to look. So we start looking here and looking there. And just like the Jews would look to the law, they would look to the, the, the sacrificial system, they would look to the priests, they would look to the hope of the promised land, all these things. And the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is greater than that. I love this song we're going to close with today. The third verse, Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You see, Hebrews is about remembering that Jesus is the central piece to everything. It's not about understanding how Jesus is the central piece to everything. It's not about feeling that Jesus is the central piece to everything. It's not about even being able to explain that Jesus is the central piece to everything. It's just declaring that truth and asking you to accept that by faith. Asking God to bind our wandering heart to him alone. And that's the question Hebrews is going to ask you over the next eight weeks. What is it that you're running to when Jesus is greater than that? What is it that you're seeking to build your life on when Jesus is greater than that? And in the middle of hanging on to Jesus, when you're like, really? This is how it's going to be, Jesus, me and you? I thought this was going to be a, like, like better. Trusting that, that he's greater than any other thing. And... I'll just be upfront with this. Some, some of you may sitting here today may never have even come to a point where you've said, I choose you, Jesus. I had a friend say to me, I don't know if I've ever had my come to, come to Jesus moment. Maybe this is that moment. Maybe right now, as we pray at the end of the service, you need to say, okay, I've run for everything. I've, I've, I've tried everything to fill my life up, but I've, I'm, I'm scared to death. I'm that hummingbird flying up bashing my head against that clear blue sky that can't seem to let me out. 
and I need to let you take me and set me free. Maybe today you need to surrender for that first time. Maybe you surrendered years ago and you just keep running after other things. And this is just another time to say, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, but here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Let's pray. God, in this moment, wherever we are, whatever we're chasing to make ourselves feel better, to, to try to be free, Whatever it is, God, I just ask that you would remind us how you sustain all things, how you hold it together, how you heal our brokenness. You're the only way to allow us to be who we were created to be. The beginning and the end, the fullness of everything, the picture of God in human flesh. Help us to see that. And for those here today who've never surrendered, I pray in this moment that they could just offer their lives to you and that you would meet them there. And for those of us who have surrendered more times than we care to count and still keep running after other things, just remind us again that your grace is enough, that you have called us home, that you love us the cross is big enough to forgive our wandering. Draw us to yourself. Remind us that you are greater than anything else the world could offer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. I'm becoming quite an expert in bird releasals. Uh, and the one thing I've learned is that I, 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 can, I know when I'm just about to be successful because the bird is completely exhausted. It can't run from me anymore. And some of you are here today and you're thinking, man, whatever, I'm just exhausted. I am spiritually wiped out. Yes, you're almost there. You're almost at the point where you're going to give up and return to where you need to be. So I just want to encourage you, if you're feeling spiritually exhausted, that's a great place to be. Because Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen.